Hey, very good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. This is Sean. This is Alex. And we are back with another episode of Coast to Kings Radio. Sally delayed. Um, I know it's been about two months since our last episode. But we are here to talk a little bit about Disney today. We just came back from Disneyland Paris Resort. We had a pretty amazing trip. And then, of course, if you're probably aware, the coronavirus that started in Wuhan, China, has now closed several Disney's resorts, including Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Tokyo Disneyland Resort. And we're even hearing that maybe Disneyland Paris is next to close in the next couple of days, given the French government is um, limiting the amount of events and close gathered groups over 5,000 people. So as of right now, the park is open as we're recording this on the evening of the 29th. But Happy Leap Day. Happy everyone. Leap Day to everyone. Uh, we'll <laughs> see if there's going to be a leap of faith um, for these <laughs> Disney resorts. But we're going to focus on the positives of the park. Um, we just went for three days. We weren't expecting much, given our last visit was not the greatest, well, but we, we had a great time. 2018, we went for a day, and Sean had never been, and it was more of like a, at the time, it was kind of just a credit run off on the tail end of a, an amazing uh, Netherlands and Germany uh, coaster tour. Um, so we went, and it was a, it was a total disaster, um, which kind of... Like, my visit in 2015 was good. My first visit to Disney Paris. This was my second visit, Sean's first. And then this time it was like, okay, expectations have kind of been humbled. But um, we went in with an open mind. And um, we ended up, uh, our our modest expectations were uh, it definitely exceeded. So the main focus of this trip was getting on hyperspace mountain, as as we call it nowadays. Uh, because last time we went, we um, got Q-dumped for Ratatouille, the ride, in Walt Disney Studios Park, the second gate. And after enough moaning at guest services, we finally <laughs> got a fast pass out of it, which was a fast pass for Hyperspace Bound. Sure enough, Hyperspace Bound never opened that day. And so we sat there, especially myself, I was quite upset because I was looking forward to riding it, um, in front of Hyperspace Mountain, and it never opened. So we decided we had to come back, and mainly for the ride, and we were hoping that the resort made a good impression. And now here we are, three days later, pass holders to Disneyland Paris. Yeah. Uh, we had an absolute blast. Yeah, the three-day ticket was only a little bit cheaper than a, a annual pass. And with, with my line of work uh, for airline, major airline, and Sean's work with hotels, we, uh, we were like, well, it's not inconceivable that we would wind up... Um, in Paris again, and so we we kind of we knew we'd spend at least three days there, and we thought, well, if we're if, you know worst case scenario, it's only the three days, and we're not really out much compared to what we would be if we bought a three day ticket. Best case scenario, um, we have a great time, and maybe we come back um, later this year. And um, I think it was really the latter. We uh, got to we flew in, landed in Paris at uh, about eight. Yeah, eight a.m. And we were at the resort. Around ten thirty, right? Yeah, it wasn't long after rope drop, and then we went and we bought our annual passes. We got them processed. We got the uh, the super fast pass. Yeah, the ultimate fast pass. So the nice thing about Disneyland Paris Resort, kind of how Shanghai works, is that you can pay for your fast pass. So there are several packages you can purchase. It's either a couple of e uh, tickets, and they have a couple e tickets that you can do unlimited. That's those are the super passes. Fast pass that gives you the option to. 
ride all major attractions that have FastPass access, including Phantom Manor or which Phantom Manor, normally. which yeah. doesn't normally have it. Yeah. And then you can ride those either once per day or you can pay the ultimate price, really, <laughs> and spend a lot of money to ride everything unlimited without yeah. having to wait for it. It's a really great deal. We yeah. did it for one day. It was really busy on the first day. The weather was yeah. nice. We were wearing shorts and spirit jerseys. And, and we were gorgeous. We wanted insurance rides on everything. So we were like, let's go ahead. It was 90 euros a person for nine, one use, one per ride, fast passes, on top of the uh, included fast passes that would come with your daily admission. Which are the old system, kind of like how Disneyland Resorts used to be. However, the time spans to return for your fast pass are only 30 minutes. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. There's a lot more distributions than they are in Anaheim. And these, it's, it's the old school. You go to the ride, you report to the attraction, you get your ticket, and then you come back to it later. No max pass or anything set up with the app as far as reserving uh, free or included fast passes remotely. But it was uh, it's not a bad system for Disneyland Paris since the park is so well organized, I guess with the exception of Indiana Jones, which is kind of in its own little corner out of the way getting a fast pass for that's not very convenient but um but of course so once we got our our annual passes processed and we got our super fast pass we went straight to uh, hyperspace mountain and got our regular fast passes for it and then used jumped in line super, with the yeah. ultimate because we we're gonna yeah. wait a couple yeah. hours to see because it we is a finicky ride. ASAP, yeah. The last couple of weeks, we kept checking the app and the news, and it kept being down for two days at a time. Or It was down you know, for over a week at one point. Yeah, it was down it. for like 10 days almost, and you know, emergency rehab, really, even though it was never scheduled. So we just knew the ride was finicky. Fair enough, the ride system is pretty advanced for any yeah. of the Space Mountains. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. We'll kind of start talking about the strengths of the resort um, and the weaknesses. A lot less weaknesses this time around than last time, but I would still say that food is their weak, yeah. biggest point. I mean, there's nothing that's special about dining at a European theme park, and Disneyland Resort Paris is not an, an exception. exception at all. So, I mean, the food that we ate was passable. In fact, there were some some things that we really enjoyed. Uh, you know, the uh, Darth Vader waffles with chocolate sauce and, uh, you know, getting espresso at any convenient stand throughout the park is... is you know, very convenient. Um, but a lot of the meals and stuff, I mean, were kind of utilitarian in a way that Disney parks elsewhere in the world are not. The only great thing was that they were starting to kind of have a line of vegetarian and vegan items, which I was kind of surprised by. But none of the quality was that good. The hours are weird. The close at 6 p.m., even the close, yeah. bar closed at 8. So food-wise, it wasn't the greatest. Operations, they made, they made leaps and bounds. Like, that park was... Firing off trains, dispatching boats. I mean, it was absolutely a delight to see. And then staff service was also... Cast member interactions were improvement. glowing. In fact, they would rival, I would say, any of the best cast experiences, cast member days we've had um, at any of the U.S. resorts uh, or, or Hong Kong or Shanghai. Tokyo still has the best cast members, I think, but Paris is... is it Tokyo, I feel there's an edge of fakeness to it because everyone is just waving and smiling because that's the thing to do. But I felt like it was genuinely nice because Europeans yeah. can't really hide. Yeah, we hide that we don't easily. expect Europeans to be surface friendly, so they were the fact that they were so genuine was was we knew that they meant it because they would never they would never pretend to be happy to see us or exactly to accommodate our seat request for back row <laughs> on Space Mountain, and yet every. 
And yet every time we did it, which we wrote, we rode Hyperspace Mountain 17 times over the course of three days. And almost every time we asked for row 11, which is the front of the last car, the front seat of the last car, better leg room, but still in the back where you have the best view. And every time the cast member in the queue was like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. Enjoy. <laughs> they seemed really excited that we cared at all and that we wanted to sit there. I think the greatest thing about the trip was just realizing. So, track, backtrack a little bit. Our last visit to Disneyland Paris together, um, we had not been to all. I had not been to all the parks, Disney parks in the world yet. Um, and then shortly after, we did all the parks in the world. And so now we came back for the first time since I've done all the parks. And it kind of highlighted to me how special Park Disneyland is. The you know the main gate for the resort because they have such an incredible attention to detail. Um, and they pretty much have the best versions of every ride around the world. They have yeah. the best Space Mountain, by far. Best Big Thunder. Best Big Thunder. Best Pirates of the Caribbean. Best Haunted Mansion. Best Haunted Mansion. The best Frontierland. I mean, just the best areas in general. I would say the Discoveryland yeah. and Frontierland are, are the best Disney areas ever created. And their Fantasyland is, is, I would say, probably the best, too. Even though we love... Fantasyland in Shanghai, we feel that Anna, uh, uh, <laughs> Paris is, is is incredibly cohesive and just teeming uh, with attractions that and gardens yeah. and little waterfalls and little waterways. Yeah. It's absolutely spectacular and colorful, which is nice. Yeah, and then their Tower of Terror surprisingly went from our least favorite to our very favorite because they relaunched Tower of Terror in Disney. Uh, well, Disney Studios. Disney Studios. And it is now still the Hollywood Tower of Terror theme with the Twilight Zone. However, they focused on a new kind of story where it's no longer just, you know, the old video you're watching in a pre-show being relived on the ride. Now it's actually a new story where the little girl from the pre-show video Mm -hmm. is, like, haunting the hotel and taking over your elevator. And there are three different shafts and three different shows. And it no longer does, you know, all the pre-show stuff and then has the elevator bit. It actually variates... The elevator drops and stops with the actual scenes that are on the ride. So it is vastly improved, much more intense, ride cycles much longer. It feels like a sequel to uh, the ride that's always been there and, and the uh, the kind of the story that they start with in both the original Paris Tower and uh, uh, the original Orlando Tower. Uh, you know, the five people stepped into an elevator and into a nightmare kind of thing, but instead of the ride kind of just rehashing the pre-show over and over again in the ride. The Paris ride now offers uh, the next step in the storyline, which focuses on um, the little girl. The creep factor is delicious. It is just exceptionally spooky uh, and and quite quite surprising. And we don't want to give too much away. We've already we've spoiled a little bit just by the nature of it, but it's also hard not to get people excited about this relaunch of the ride without explaining to people why they should be excited about it and why we're so comfortably declaring this the best iteration of Tower of Terror, even though we were uh, quite keen on the Guardians of the Galaxy re-theme for uh, Anaheim as well. We would say that this is our favorite of the four. I would say this is kind of like the Guardians of the Galaxy re-theme. However, it stuck with the original yeah. concept. And I think that's so great because the original concept and theme were always cool. You know, Hollywood, Tower Hotel, like it, it's, it was creepy. It was cool. 
But it was always kind of lacking that spark. It always felt outdated from the moment it opened sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And now they kind of gave it a modern, unexpected edge to it where every yeah. ride is different and you have different show sequences. Yeah. While maintaining that original Hollywood Tower Hotel feel. Got a, te- I'm a big technological fan. upgrade. Speaking of upgrades, I mean, Disney Studios Paris is, is pretty much running at, at half Not operations yeah, right now. God. They're they're in the middle of a of a major transformation and uh it's very exciting because, like, based on previous visits, it definitely felt like Park Disneyland, the Castle Park, was the was the park, and Disney Studios Paris was like merely a the, the bonus reel, yeah, the outtakes. Mm-hmm. Like, you have this amazing piece, this amazing work of art, which is Disneyland Paris, arguably the nicest castle park. Uh, of the Disney chain, arguably. And then you have Disney Studios Paris, which was handily the worst of the second gates. Um, However, we must point out that there are some strong suits. So they had Rock and Roller Coast with the light show, which was always cool. Mm-hmm. That's currently closed. They become the Iron Man coaster. However, they still have Crush, which is, by the fault, a yeah. very simple spinning coaster, but they completely flipped the script on that. They have like dark, um, dark ride scenes and little outdoor section and a little lift hill and I would say overall I think the biggest surprise of the trip was Crush, was Crush. Coaster or Crush's Coaster. Crush was down <laughs> for seasonal when Sean and I went in 2018 so that one was unlike Space Mountain which was an unplanned missed credit uh, Crush was a, was planned we knew that we weren't going to ride it but um, something that I am guilty of and I think a lot of Disney fans and enthusiasts coaster enthusiasts alike are guilty of is, is giving Disneyland Paris crap for the quote-unquote capacity issue of, of Crush's coaster, but we wrote it twice, and we wrote it the second time because despite the hour or so line, maybe just shy of an hour, despite the you know, 45, 50-minute wait. That for you, single rider. For single rider. Uh, we liked it so much, we, uh, we wanted to write it again. And um, it's worth pointing out that the ride is, is honestly so good in its own right uh, it has it's one of those things. I think it has it's way better than it has any right to be. You look at it on paper and you think, okay, this is a standard Mauer spinner, just like several parks throughout the U.S. have. But they put it in a box and they they tack some little, theming onto it. Yeah. And um, but no, like even though the ride on paper doesn't have the best capacity, they, they were, were pushing, pushing out those trains. cars out. I mean, not a single seat ever left. A well-oiled machine. They were sending MG. out. Um, what would you say, 16 people a minute? No. Yeah, I think it was 16 people a minute. Yeah, because yeah, every 15 every, seconds the train every, would dispatch out the station. Every 15 seconds, there was always three or four turtle shells in the station. Continuous um, loading. So the, yeah. the platform, like the trains would move slowly to the end of the station and then dispatch again. And there was most definitely, I mean, I think so we calculated like 960 people an yeah. hour, which isn't high for a Disney coaster, but for a spinning coaster, like there's no spinning coaster on earth, yeah. but individual vehicles that has yeah. that kind of capacity. Yeah. Like it just pushes like, out those people. It's, it's more respectable. The number, the sheer number of people that they process through that ride is, is a lot more responsible and respectable than I think people give it credit for. And just standing there in a single ride line, which is in the station, um, and seeing them just firing Fire out these, these trains. Cars like out. there is not a second. There's, Eight cast members on the platform, and people are being put in these vehicles, and singles are added to it. And it's such a smooth process that waiting an hour, which is a, it's a really fun ride, but just waiting an hour and seeing the operation, I had so much appreciation for 
complete maximization of that capacity and of that ride, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's Disney's biggest hidden gem. Yeah. No one talks about it. Yeah. It's a one-off. It's the only park in the world that has a crush coaster. And, yeah, God, as, I liked it so much. As far as Finding Nemo rides go, you know, across the board, you have submarines at Disneyland, which are, are cute, but cumbersome and probably not long for this world. You have the Living Seas Finding Nemo overlay for Epcot. You have Sea Rider overlay for the Storm Rider simulator ride at Tokyo Disney Sea. And then you have the only actual from the ground up Finding Nemo ride uh, at Disneyland Paris. And it's honestly, you know, it's, it's honestly a knockout. Like, it's Space Mountain underwater. The cars spin. It's really quite thrilling in a way. It's kind of like... And there's a lot of theming. Like, do not forget that there's, like, little drops and lift hills and big sections before you get to the main show building with theming and projection mapping and animatronics. There's every bit as much, like, thematic, like, animatronics and things as, as like, the Epcot ride, I would say. Oh, I would say, it's, yeah, exactly. And I would say it's much, much better than the Epcot ride. Well, certainly. I mean, we love the seas, but this is, this ride is a, it's an e-ticket in every sense. It's kind of if you if we look at all the rides in the resort, we like it better than their Indiana Jones Looping Coaster. Which that, we like Indiana Jones. We're not crazy about it. It's sort of the the redhead of the park, <laughs> the redheaded stepchild of sorts. Um, we and and when they the ride at its core is good and. If you don't ride in the very front, which we made the mistake of doing on our on our first ride of the visit, and we got beat up, um, it's a good ride. We sat in the back on our second ride and really enjoyed it, and then we rode it a third time. It's cute. It's just hard being at the Disney Resort that has the best coaster collection, like, hands down, in the entire world. And then having stuff like Hyperspace Mountain that launches you in two mounds and three inversions, crazy theming, amazing trains and audio, Big Thunder Mountain that dips underneath the river, amazing location in the park and then you know having these detailed dark rides that are by far they're the most successful versions of themselves and then having in the back corner of the park that indiana jones coaster that feels like an afterthought it has little theming compared to the other ones it just feels like it doesn't belong there like i like i kept telling alice when we were there i was like it's better off putting this coaster at the Walt Disney studios park it feels like a second gate coaster yeah it does not feel like the Marquee Castle Park, which is the most detailed castle park, even more so than Shanghai, and having that right there, it just feels so off. And like, it can the 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 shortcomings of Indiana Jones Paris are highlighted by how well executed Raging Spirits at Tokyo Disney Sea is, totally. which is a carbon copy, but themed with so much detail. It really. Tokyo Disney Sea is full of of what Disneyland Paris wanted to do but didn't have the budget for. When the park was first built, they pretty much were over budget on everything. But as attendance was lower than expected, follow-up additions to the resort like Indiana Jones and Space Mountain were victim of budget cuts. Indiana Jones was supposed to be a clone of the Disneyland ride at Anaheim which was under construction still. The original was under construction still at the time. In fact, Paris's might have opened first if, if the ride itself hadn't been cut from the overall budget. And then the looping coaster was just going to be a complement 
um, to the dark ride. Just a much second. like it is at Disney Sea, where you have the Indiana Jones Temple, you know, big dark ride, and then Raging Spirits. So, yeah, is, no, Disney Sea got ride. exactly what 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 Paris was supposed to get, but again, budget cuts were what they were. The looping coaster was selected as the one ride to to carry the the expansion because it was cheaper than doing the dark ride and it was a thrilling coaster which Europeans knew that they realized that maybe they had missed the mark in terms of appealing to the teenagers in the mid 20 somethings who really sought thrill rides and and while Indiana Jones it, you know wasn't exactly a success um, it did kind of point the Imagineers and, and stuff in the right direction because it was the first Disney ride to go upside down, and I think going into that, it was sort of like a gamble. Um, but I think it proved that the European audience needed that sort of ride, which is why within just a few years, the resort opened Space a, Mountain, a looping Space Mountain that launches, and then another looping launch and coaster, rock and roller coaster, just next door. So like that kind of jumpstarted the resort's aggressive thrill category. Yeah, and every time they added a thrill ride, their attendance. Spiked. And now Disneyland Paris's legacy is that not only do they have the most gorgeous castle park and the most incredible Disneyland hotel, uh, but they are the coaster resort, handily. Uh, as much as we love Tron and Seven Dwarfs Mine Train at Shanghai, you know, it's two coasters. Uh, Walt Disney World may have the most coasters, but their, the overall quality of their collection is not to the same degree yeah. um, as, as Disneyland Paris with its unparalleled collection of unique custom coasters and really well executed um, recreations of, of existing of existing Disney rides. You know, you've got Big Thunder Mountain that goes under the river into the island with, you know, the big fast tunnel finale at the end. Um, Space Mountain, which we talk about we talk about Space Mountain all the time, is is not only being the best ride at that resort, but being at the time, the most technologically advanced uh, theme park ride ever built, the most expensive roller coaster ever built, um, and the absolute savior of the Disneyland Paris Resort. So not only is the ride just incredible to any random person who doesn't know anything about Disney, the more you know about this ride and the Paris Resort and the the cultural and financial setbacks that they incurred um, in the first three years or so of the resort, I mean, it was bad. They were almost they they were they were almost bankrupt by 1994. They had done their due diligence. They built this a beautiful park, and then you know Indiana Jones was was marketable enough, and then they expanded with the Casey Junior area and the Storybook Canal boats, and it just wasn't the the, the movement was not happening. France was experiencing an economic downturn. The public was weary of of what a Disneyland Paris meant for for Paris. There was kind of this two-headed monster of like, well, it's called Euro Disney at the time, and they had the audacity to call it Euro Disney, put it in France, put it in Paris, but not even name it after Paris, but then at the same time uh, struggle with the fact that it even existed and, and, you know, things, ideas, phrases like cultural imperialism and, uh, you know, tourism Chernobyl being thrown around by the newspapers and stuff. Um, so there was... It's kind of funny because they had... They knew going into Europe it was going to be a very hard market to penetrate because Europeans had their theme parks, they had their cultural experiences. Europe didn't need 
Disneyland or Disney to come in and provide to them the entertainment because as we see still is that Europeans do not need Disney for entertainment. It's still one of those places where you have equally as amazing theme parks, just an hour drive away sort of thing. So they knew going in that they had to build the absolute best castle park yet. And they put so much detail in every single thing. I mean, things were hand woven, like stained glass was made by people within Paris. It was every single detail at that resort is so peculiar. Like even the queue for Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean itself, or It's a Small World. All of these attractions are so much better because they knew that they had to be. They knew going in that there was already this kind of disadvantage of being Disney and needing to exceed expectations from Europeans that already had really high standards when it came to theme parks. Don't forget, you know, modern theming and theme parks started in Europe. Like Disney kind of took that and implemented in Anaheim, and that's why they're the big success in the U.S. that they were. But, you know, Europeans kind of didn't really need Disney for that. So that's why I think it is our favorite castle park when it comes to detail. Um, because it just does everything so right. Hyperspace Mountain was, well, of course, originally the original Discovery Mountain concept for Discoveryland, which is, of course, Disneyland Paris's answer to Tomorrowland. It was a really brilliant uh solution to the ongoing problem of keeping Tomorrowland uh, firmly situated in tomorrow um, instead of it becoming today land and yesterday land and obsolete land. Um, Discovery Land was about a celebration of a, of a bygone idea of the future, you know, rooted in, in steampunk idealism and Jules Verne storytelling and Discovery Mountain. The original concept was for almost a miniature indoor theme park, like a park within a park that included not only Space Mountain, but the, the Nautilus walkthrough, which did survive the budget cuts and, and sits uh, just outside of Space Mountain, but um, a Horizons clone, apparently. I mean, that was something that I read about a long time ago. I'm pretty sure that that was... Either they were going to clone it or they were going to move it, because Horizons at Epcot closed in 1994 for a while and then reopened... I think a year later, but um, it would have fit the theme pretty well. Anyways, they had this very ambitious idea um, for for a variety of rides, Space Mountain, Horizons, the Nautilus walkthrough, and a uh, journey to the center of the Earth Intamin drop ride, which um, the the uh, Nautilus ride, or I guess the Nautilus walkthrough, which transformed into a futuristic version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea submarine ride, and the Journey to the Center of the Earth drop ride that transformed into the dark ride that we have at Tokyo Disney. Those all, again, these concepts were able to, <laughs> they saw the light of day uh, at a different resort. Paris's uh, audacity for, for dreaming up these things, um, you know, they, it, it, it did pay off eventually in the end. Well, it's kind of cool walking around Discoveryland and having walked, you know, around mystery island at tokyo disney sea and being like wow these two areas really are pretty much one they're just split up halfway around the world <laughs> like you are on the other side of the globe in one half of the area and the other half of the area it takes place on the other side of the globe and both are equally fantastic i would yeah. say they're both the top two three disney areas in the world they are timeless yet so intriguing every bit of detail that is just attached to the dome alone i mean the dome's 
and in Tokyo, Hong Kong, Anaheim, and Walt Disney World are just the white domes. But the dome on the one in Paris has a million little details and flashing rings of lights and chrome covers and I don't even know what else. You could, I mean, you could not that. possibly give too much credit to Discovery Mountain, which became Space Mountain just a few months before the ride opened. Uh, with the Euro Disney naming fiasco and, and deciding to rename the resort Disneyland Paris at the end of 1994, they kind of started to waver, I guess, in their own, trusting their own instincts as far as monikers for things. So even though Discovery Mountain was what was announced and the years from the time that Disneyland Paris Resort opened to the time that Space Mountain opened, it was called Discovery Mountain for all uh, eras of gestation from the original concept to the budget cuts to construction to right there at the bitter end before they changed it to Space Mountain because they figured it would be a, a safe a safer bet. I mean, at this point, Space Mountain was a household name around the world. People knew about that space themed roller coaster. Does. Yeah. And in the end of the day, it made more sense to get people through the gates by calling it Space Mountain and making it a much better version than it did giving it a new name. People having no clue what it was about and not ever showing up at the front gate. Despite this, there was, you know, Discovery Mountain emblems everywhere. Even the and trains. There still are. So if you're on the bridge that holds some of the switchbacks into the, into the ride queue, there are little emblems that say DM on them, mm-hmm. and even the actual entrance to the ride has little logos that use the say DM, and it clearly turned a D into an S. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's clearly still the Discovery Mountain logos everywhere. So, I will always refer to it as Discovery hyperspace Mountain. or Discovery yeah. Mountain, but not Space Mountain. <laughs> it's easier than saying Space Mountain Paris. If you say Discovery Mountain, you know exactly what we're talking about. The original iteration of the ride, um, Space Mountain from the Earth to the Moon. Or, or, or the French version, which I have a hard time pronouncing. De la, de la terre à la, à la lune. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that ride, when I think back to what Disney and Vacoma accomplished with that ride, it like it cannot be understated how incredible. I mean, in fact, we're talking about our ride right now, so let's jump right in. So, yes, it opened as um, De la terre à la lune, I mm-hmm. think is what it's called, and then it became Mission 2. The original idea was that all of the scenery on the ride were something to enjoy off-ride and on-ride. So you would enter Space Mountain, and then you'd be able to look at the ride. So the entire queue was threaded through the mountain, and you could see the train going around, all the light-up effects. And it was cool, but obviously there was light pollution. So then Mission 2 happened, where they kept the same trains, they kept the same name, but added Mission 2 to it. And they enclosed the entire queue and had, like, star graphs. And this way there was no light pollution, so they installed projection mapping and colorful stars and comets. And, you know, the scenery was kind of updated to be more spacey, less Jules Verne, I guess. And then it closed again for the 25th anniversary of the resort. And in 2016? 17. 17. Yeah. Hyperspace Mountain opened with new MK1212 rolling stock, and I'm not sure what it is. They're the Facoma trains that have the vest harness, super comfortable, Blue Hawk at Secret Over Georgia runs them, uh, Piton at Efteling has them. Sidewinder at Hershey Park. They're just phenomenal trains, and the trains are still very much themed to Jules Verne and not Space Mountain, but the blue really fits the new They're theme. Not hyperspace. Hyperspace, yeah. Yeah. sorry, hyperspace, not space. Um, so these new trains are fantastic. They have amazing audio on board. In fact, that must be the loudest and clearest onboard audio I've had on any roller coaster. Even better than Tron, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's just really loud. Yeah. Um, and so for those who aren't familiar with the ride, 
I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. The big cannon that shoots you off. The Columbiad. The Columbiad, which is the name of our new cat. (laughs) We're like, we're looking at this. I'm like, if we get another cat, we need to name him Columbiad because that would be uh, amazing. The ride, uh, I'm sure it's no secret that the ride has the first modern launch of any roller coaster. In fact, it was the first inclined catapult system ever built. For any application whatsoever. The, yeah, it's a flywheel. The flywheel system, which was invented for aircraft carriers, of course, it involved helping fling aircraft, uh, accelerate them at a very short distance, uh, enough for them to um, achieve lift and, and obviously fly off of an off of a, of a aircraft carrier. Um, but doing it uphill with, you know, the, the for a ride, for a theme park ride, I mean, it was just, it was totally totally outside of the box and even for Disney standards uh, prior to that we had you know Schwarzkopf shuttle loops and Aero shuttle loops and it was a much more rudimentary I guess in a way system. they work the same the thing is just that the incline brought so many challenges because here you have a big themed incline and now you have to build a new sort of track system that can support a heavy train with audio on it that's gonna go against gravity and a much long, and I mean, it's it's tall. It's like a hundred feet. It goes up. Like the launch, it is quite. It is it is a big big piece of machinery. If you've seen Space Mountain pictures of it from the outside, but you've never ridden it or watched the POV, you might be surprised to know that more than half of the actual track is below midway level. The uh, ride is incredibly tall. What um, you're seeing is only about the forty percent tip of the actual show building. The rest is is below your feet. I mean, imagine you're in the ground level of the themed area as you walk into the mountain and there's the half of the ride is below you so like you're on a i'm pretty much on a bridge for the entire show building which leads to the station so when you're in on the queue you can just hear all the trains running and you hear them screaming you hear a train entering the show building you hear trains on the lift hill on the mid course lift hill which we'll get to in a second with the original iteration of the ride you could appreciate a lot more what they achieved with the ride's layout and like the size of it and, and the way it was sunken into the midway. Um, ultimately, they decided for mission two, they wanted, like like Sean said, the projection mapping and stuff. They enclosed the queue. They wanted to make it completely dark, but then they created a new problem for themselves. The ride had a reputation for being quite violent, very intense. Um, you know, it's a, a head-banging Vacoma <laughs> in the traditional sense, and it was a lot easier to brace and anticipate the movements of the ride in the first iteration um, when it wasn't trying to be in the dark. Um, in fact, people queuing for the ride were, were given a, a, a comfortable idea of what they were subjecting themselves to. The ride was so incredibly outlandish that <laughs> Not videos. it was for the best. 360-degree loops. Yeah. <laughs> Please be aware. It was for the best, really, at the time that you introduced people explicitly to what they were going through. It's not... By the time we built Rock and Roller Coaster in Orlando, it was like, well, they're just going to have to deal with it. You know, we're going to explain to them what they're doing, but they're going to find out one way or another once we're in the show building, you know, what's going to happen to them on this roller coaster. But for Space Mountain, the first from the Earth to the Moon version of Space Mountain, it was all there for you to see uh, as you were queuing up for the ride. Um kind of reminds me a little bit of Tron and how the best way you could possibly hype people up uh, in terms of pre-show elements sometimes is to just show them the ride and, and make it look beautiful. And you know what? We posted a video of the launch on Instagram. We got a couple comments stating that the launch looks slow. you got to realize that the launch starts 
in the tunnel that you can't see because it goes underground first and then it, you know, it queues up to be launched. And then by the time it actually makes an appearance to the public, it's already like 90 feet into the air and it starts slowing down a little bit. Um, but yeah. that launch is still really intense. Fun fact. I mean, you could achieve what this ride does with a natural lift hill. A chain lift brought to the top of the of the first drop of sorts would would you would still probably complete the layout. I don't know if the, the launch the launch isn't integral to the operation of the ride in the same way that um, the follow up rock and roller coaster uh, you know would be. But they did it anyways because they could and because it's awesome and they wanted to shoot people out of a cannon. The whole idea was that never was there a single space mountain that had actually done what rockets do and that's launch you into space. And so when the Jules Verne theme came along, which the famous story of from the Earth to the Moon, mm-hmm. where they use a big cannon to shoot a rocket train, so like a series of yeah. small train pieces on a rocket, into the moon, that's obviously a no-brainer. Was, so you just build yeah. that and create a launch to it, and it was the natural step to have a space mountain that actually launches you into space. It was one of those imagineering things where the ideas and the concept and everything was there. They just had to find the technology for it because it practically made itself. You can't, it's amazing. You can't look at these these illustrations of the train being launched out of the cannon from the original Jules Verne book and not see a roller coaster. Right. It's kind of like when you're us, like you see the light cycles, you're like, oh, obviously, like, obviously this could be a ride. Like, yeah. There's just no way around it. Um, and then the launch, I know we talk about it a lot, that's just because that's kind of its marquee thing you can see off-ride, but I think the real, the real stellarness comes to the layout. Yeah. So the dome is a perfect circle, and this is by far the most creative indoor layout I've ever seen. If you think that your never-ending ride turns on your Space Mountain, Hong Kong, Anaheim, Tokyo is exciting, <laughs> get ready for this crazy layout that includes a mid-course lift hill, a sidewinder, a regular corkscrew, and a tongue which is a like half corkscrew in and in the same direction back out. And everything the ride does is just unnatural. When it comes to like the laws of roller coaster designing, it is just 100% flipped on its ass. And you have <laughs> waving turns, you have little drop. You have like in the middle of the ride, there's a lift hill and then a giant drop off of that into a helix, into the tongue, into another helix, into the finale. It's just, it's just an, an amazing, amazing ride layout. When Premier Rides debuted the uh, Outer Limits Flight of Fear coasters at Kings Island and Kings Dominion in 1996, they were credited uh, largely with this concept of the Spaghetti Bowl launch coaster. And while Premier is absolutely deserving of uh, credit for that layout and for the execution and for linear induction motor technology that they used... Um, it's Walt Disney Engineering and Vacoma that deserve the credit for this, this not only just the modern launch coaster, but the first iteration of a indoor spaghetti bowl type coaster. Like I've often heard people talk about rock and roller coaster as this, you know, outer limits flight of fear ripoff, you know, by Disney and Vacoma. And I'm like, Oh no, let's talk about space mountain because space mountain was open more than a year before the uh, Flight of Fear coasters opened, and um, Space Mountain was was being developed for years prior. Again, it was just a matter of of how and 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 the technology and and like the layout, how they wanted to shape it and, and organize everything. It really does make Rock and Roller Coaster and even the Premier Spaghetti Bowls feel so conventional by comparison. But there was no. It's it's sort of like. When you look at vintage hypercoasters and you look at rides like Desperado and Steel Phantom, hypercoasters 
have a very established approach that kind of came with Magnum XL 200 and, and the Morgan hypers and stuff. But the early, early hyper coasters, Pepsi Max, big one. I mean, they were weird. They're more weird now than they were at the time because nobody knew, nobody could tell you what a hypercoaster was supposed to look like. And that's exactly how Space Mountain feels. The layout feels so weird. And every time you ride Rock and Roller Coaster or Flight of Fear, it's like, all right, this makes naturally sense to go in circles, have one directional change, and go in circles. But that's exactly the opposite of what Space Mountain does. It's all over the place. It has a rando course through here. It does two full circles it's around the whole well building. Paced. It's very well paced. It's pretty much three sections. So launch couple of helixes and inversion, mid-course. And then a couple of helixes and inversion, lift hill, mm-hmm. drop, a couple of helixes and inversion, brake run. So it's very systematic in that regard, but everything it does in between the blocks, pretty much, I mean, they knocked it out of the park. I cannot believe that the indoor coaster that is that small. Because when you you can walk around the entire building, it's the only space mountain in the world you can walk around the entire yeah. building. The and it's not that large of a building. It. it doesn't take up very much space. It doesn't because it's a lot more height than it is width, really. Because, again, it goes like half underground. But the fact that they were able to put so much in that show building, it just completely amazed me. I mean, you could talk about, everyone knows how tall the show buildings are for, like, Flight of Fear. Everyone knows how enormous poltergeist and joker's jinx are or even rock and roller coaster and the, the, the fact that the, the blue show building for hollywood studios is rock and roller coaster is is visible from well outside the park um and and yet space mountain fits in this in this this tiny so little almost, relatively yeah. tiny little thing and it's because they they buried so much of the ride to to accomplish this it's it's such a special ride it was so amazing for a, a lot of reasons when it first opened and now as the ride is in its third iteration with the best rolling stock it's ever had, an amazing uh, Star Wars overlay that feels really right. This is the only Star Wars overlay. So Hong Kong has done it and Anaheim has done it and those were definitely just temporary overlays. This is the one where they relaunched the attraction for a third time after being closed for almost two years. As Hyperspace Mountain. So, like, this is the third mission, the third yeah. integration. There's custom videos for it. The, the, the logos are everywhere. Yeah. It is all, like, this time the Columbiad or the um, Baltimore Gun Club is presenting the mission. Like, Hyperspace Mountain is the mission. It was going to be called Hyperspace Mountain uh, Rebel, Rebel mission. mission. But that was too long of a name. They wanted to kind of use the word mission again because it's been to know the third yeah, mission. Mission 2. The third mission theme three. of the ride. Um, but either way, it's completely reservated to be all star wars all the banners everything so this is this is not it's not a overlay it's the entire ride has just been completely turned into a star wars ride and it ties and in nicely with the fact i mean you've got star tours right next to it star tours and helps with blending star tours has yeah. been part of disneyland paris for longer than space mountain was so i heard a lot of people complaining about the fact that they were theming it to, to star wars at all and they're like well star wars doesn't belong in, in discovery land i'm like yes it does Star Wars was the original marquee attraction for Discoveryland. It was a big deal. I mean, the Anaheim one had already been open for like five years by the time Disneyland Paris opened. But you better believe they slammed that into Discoveryland so fast. It was just a, it was an obvious, easy slam dunk for them while they waited to decide how they wanted to accomplish the Discoveryland, Discovery Mountain project. Um, and so now that it's hyperspace and, and the two rides are together, it just it seems perfectly natural and it may almost seem like an american view point of view here but the fact that the whole star wars audio is completely in french, french. 
it kind of it kind of like Tron being all in Mandarin. It kind of adds that excitement to it because there's this talking about like a destroyer estrellar or whatever. Like it's star destroyer in French, and it's just you hear the little things that you know from the from the English version, and it creates just such a different environment having it all in French. And there's one part of the ride where. We are blasting at the Star Destroyer, and we're doing a great job. So she thanks and us. And our like, pilot. She's like, like, merci! And then, like, there's a couple more, you know, TIE fighters zooming by before we finally blow up the whole Star Destroyer. And we have the finale of the ride. And it's just, it's exciting. The launch, the cannon launch, is obviously perfection for a jump to hyperspace. Or hyperspeed, light speed, like it's it's. That's no, kind of cute. It feels like, to, like it was made. Ones, yeah. It feels like it was made for this. Like, really, the transition in and out of the ride with with the blue light sequences that they used um, to represent jumps to hyperspace were were incredible. Just so Especially perfect, so perfect that it's hard to believe that this theme, the hyperspace mountain theme, was applied to an existing attraction. Well, it works so well because when you enter the show building, you don't enter on the side. You enter it from the top. Like, you literally go to the very top of the show building and then you dive in. So by the time you're at the very top of the show building and you have the blue lights, you know, you've all seen it, the, you know, the wormhole looking thing, you dive in, you're immediately in the action. It's pretty much like you see on Star Tours, the moment you dive out of hyperspace or get out of hyperspace, hyperdrive, whatever it is, (laughs) you're immediately, like, in the action. This experience feels very true to Star Tours. It, they could have almost called it a sequel to Star Tours, more so than just uh, a, a Star Wars themed Space Mountain overlay, because you kind of go in there and with with the uh, with the Episode Nine overlay that they're running on all of the Star Tour attractions uh, across the world right now, um, it feels very uh, cohesive in not just the general Star Wars theme, but like what you're. What the task that's at hand um, for the riders? It's funny when we were riding it. I was kind of thinking, God, if Galaxy's Edge just had like this roller coaster, <laughs> it was literally this roller coaster. It would make so much sense. Like we love Rise of the Resistance. In fact, our last podcast where we talk about Rise of the Resistance and our favoritism over Leader Car, correction, or the Good Car, <laughs> correction. We actually think that yeah, we the, like it better. We like we like the Follow Car. Better more now that we've ridden it the last few times. Not we as would, much as Elite Car. Yeah. But we like, we like all cars on Rise of the Resistance. Basically, now. we would say that Rise of the Resistance is even better than we thought it was. Speaking uh, of which, repeat rides. It is supposed to come to Paris too, as yep. part of the expansion of Walt Disney Studios. They'll get their own Galaxy's Edge. However, there won't be a Smuggler's Run, which is okay because you can skip that one. And they're getting Rise of the Resistance if everything goes according to plan. Disney Studios Paris is going to be kick ass because they're getting. Because Rock and Roller Coaster is receiving an Iron Man overlay, that will be the first Iron Man. The, yeah, that will be the star attraction of their Avengers campus, along with the Spider-Man ride that uh, Anaheim is receiving at California Adventure, plus the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge with Rise of the Resistance and Frozen, like and a big lagoon and castle show, and they're getting a new Cars area. That's not going to be like Cars Land, but it's going to be Cars Route sixty six. They're Which taking the old Studio Tram Tour. Studio Tram Tour shortened, but then a completely themed cars. So it'll be like complete cars to your tour kind of thing. They're Which basically cool doubling their roster of rides right now. It'll be a very, very strong second gate. I think it'll be the strongest second gate besides Disney Sea when it opens, when everything is yeah. completed. I mean, yeah. Hollywood Studios and, and, you know, Walt Disney World is doing great, and Epcot's a really strong second gate. But if we're looking kind of, if I had to choose between California Adventure and what seems I mean, they're to be the complete product for 
Walt Disney They're basically Studios. relaunching this park. They're doing like what they did with California Adventure, you know, ten years ago, which is they're 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 putting back into this park what they always wanted to do with it. They're taking that leap of faith, you know, with with the French government um, behind them every step of the way. They're like, we want both of these parks to be premier uh, theme parks for this continent. They have to hurry up because their, <laughs> their third gate was due this decade. However, they now got an extension from the French government to construct their third gate by 2036. They have it open by 2036, which is a, a significant extension of almost 10 years, if not more. So like, they need to get going on getting that second gate fixed so they can finally start building the third gate and have it all make sense. Because as of right now... Again, they charge the same price for Park Disneyland and Walt Disney Studios, and there is no way in hell that anyone yeah. should be paying for just a ticket. Right to now, Disney, Disney Studios. Studios is Tower of Terror, Ratatouille, and Crush. Which this was Sean's first time on Ratatouille too. It's okay. It you know it it's not as good as the other trackless dark rides. In fact, we're excited to see how uh, Epcot's version will compare because there's a seven year gap between um, Paris's oh, more than seven years, maybe seven or eight. Uh, between Paris's and between Epcot's, and uh, we already know that Epcot's will not have the 3D glasses. Is that correct? That's right. And so that's our, in my mind, that's already an improvement. Um, the trackless dark ride phenomenon is is so great, and I'm so excited that after our visits to Hong Kong Disney and Tokyo Disney and Disneyland Paris, that now Walt Disney World is 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 in less than one year, less than one calendar year, are opening. Three Track trackless dark rides. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is already open um, for cast members. It opens to the public uh, in a couple of days. We have our fast passes. Fast pass. We're very excited. We have heard nothing but positive feedback. Um, we're excited for this ride not only um, to to take the place of the great movie ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios, but to also uh, breathe new life into Toontown at Disneyland in Anaheim. Um, so that that's exciting. We have Ratatouille coming in June. Um, our plan is to probably hit up the Asia Disney parks uh, early this summer, uh, coronavirus notwithstanding, um, so that we can check out, not only just revisit our uh, beloved uh, Chinese Disney parks, but to, uh, to check out the amazing uh, expansions that have been made to uh, Tokyo Disney Resort, um, namely uh, the Soren Fantastic Flight, the fourth iteration of Soren, which is themed to uh, Leonardo da Vinci's flying machines for Tokyo Disney Sea, and the new uh, Fantasyland area featuring the Beauty and the Beast uh, be our guest trackless dark ride, and the uh, Baymax Happy Ride with Baymax um, family flat ride based on the uh, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree and Alien Saucer Spin uh, technology. Hopefully, hopefully we the, we have we have better <laughs> plans. It's one of those things where. If Asia isn't happening, then we'll just shift over to Europe because I think Europe will still be a little more approachable. We want to be flexible. Um, and as Disneyland Paris pass holders, yeah. we clearly don't mind going yeah. back this time around because yeah. we really loved it. We're, so. we're pretty awful as far as tourists go because like, we, were gonna, we went to France for three days and we spent every second at Disney. <laughs> to our defense, you can see the Eiffel Tower <laughs> from the hotel and from the train to the park. So, so we, I didn't we need to were go like, there. oh, we should go to the Eiffel Tower, you know, to be... Like, responsible, culturally uh, responsible tourists, and we didn't. Well, also to be fair, is that Hyperspace, hyperspace Mountain existed. We canceled our nighttime shows at the park, and we just kept riding Hyperspace. First two days, we rode 
hyperspace mountain four times per day on day three it was just hyperspace and you know some other stuff it yeah. helped it snowed on <laughs> the day three so the crowds a little yeah. less busy and so we're able to get five physical ticket fast passes for it and then queue for it i think four separate times yeah and we also got McFarst that day and we got on phantom manor and uh, one thing I want to talk about before the end of the episode, because this will be a pretty short episode, is that Disneyland Paris also has, like, six major walkthrough attractions. The entire park has, the walkthroughs like, so are many walkthrough so attractions. so underrated. They are fantastic. Everybody knows about uh, Alice's Curious Labyrinth uh, in Fantasyland, which is a wonderful recreation of, of bringing to life of the uh, hedge maze in the Queen of Hearts castle um, from the classic Alice in Wonderland movie. And then, of course, the Nautilus... Uh, submarine walkthrough that we talked about um, earlier in the show, but there's there's so much more. There is an Aladdin <laughs> walkthrough at Adventureland. There is a big fort walkthrough in Frontierland, and then there's two walkthroughs and where Adventure. I guess in Adventureland, yeah. there's, there's yeah. the second and third one, which is the Swiss Robinson family. Yeah, the family tree, Swiss family house. Robinson treehouse and Adventure Isle, which is Disneyland Paris's answer to Tom Sawyer's Island. And it's big. Like, you are going through cra- caves over bridges and tunnels. Like, we spent a good half hour, hour in that, just that little area there. You got to appreciate that they basically took Big Thunder Mountain and Tom Sawyer's Island and swapped them. And you have the castle. <laughs> so I guess it's like, yeah, yeah seven walkthroughs. Yeah, the Beauty and the Beast. Or not Beauty and the Beast, I'm sorry. Sleeping Beauty, of course. There's no Beauty and the Beast ride at Disneyland Paris, which... I wonder if that will change because it is uh, sure it's successful. A pr- the pride of, <laughs> of Disney's animation canon, and of course, it takes place in uh, uh, the French countryside. Um, something else that we, you know, in our infinite love for Shanghai Disney, all things are compared to Shanghai Disney in our eyes and Chaimong Ocean Kingdom. But uh, as far as Disney parks go, um, while we talked about Tokyo Disney Sea kind of being uh, the business end of a lot of Disneyland Paris's uh, budget-cutted uh, attraction concepts like their Indiana Jones and Jules Verne areas, um, the stuff that was brought to life at Disneyland Paris, uh, I think we realized served as uh, inspiration for uh, their elevated positions at um, Shanghai Disney. Yeah, so it kind of starts with the fact that Tomorrowland isn't trying to predict tomorrow. That's, that's a really big thing that Discoveryland did first and still does the best over yeah. Tomorrowland Shanghai. It may not be Jules Verne theme, but Tomorrowland and Shanghai and everything, Disney. Uh, Discoveryland in, in France is all connected. It's where Shanghai has a little bit of like, well, this all looks like Tron and very yeah. nice, but there's also a space-themed ride. Like shooting dark rats sort or of thing, it it feels a little less cohesive. It yeah. just feels very beautiful. Shanghai's Tomorrowland isn't so much about storytelling as much as it is about we really want to build a Tron ride and Lilo and Stitch and Buzz Lightyear, and it needs to look like and something else. The than architecture, yeah, the yeah. architecture has to take place outside of linear time so that we don't have to keep replacing it. And then Pirates Cove and Discovery Isle, the Discovery Isle, they are completely reimagined versions of Paris's combination of the two. So. In Shanghai Disney, Adventure Isle, and Pirate Cove take up one big circle of the park, one, one half circle of the park. And they seamlessly blend together. Just how all of Adventureland in Shanghai seamlessly blends together. There's like three subcategories. In Sorry, in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> There's three subcategories of Adventureland in Paris, and they all blend together very nicely. They have their specific rides that are separated enough to not feel like they're bleeding over. Like, I'm sorry, Magic Kingdom, but it's like... If you know Magic Kingdom's Adventureland, how everything is just kind of there, 
the other, you know, the one in Paris and Shanghai do a good job kind of blending into, into each other. There's a lot more room to breathe, I think, for these adventure lands. And I think in no small part that can be attributed to the fact that they didn't burden themselves with Jungle Cruise, which, I mean, Jungle Cruise burdened itself with Jungle Cruise this past week with the way that it, you know, went belly up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, with People Mover, <laughs> you know, a day later, I think Walt Disney World is retaliating against uh, the changing of the cards. And I think another thing we're seeing that Paris inspired for Shanghai is that Paris has their fancy land and it very much feels like a big garden with a bunch of rides in it. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And Shanghai Disney took that Paris Fantasyland concept and created a new area out of it called Gardens of Imagination, and mm-hmm. it feels exactly yeah. like a large version of the Disney's yes. Paris, uh, Paris's Fantasyland. Yeah. Shanghai Disney's almost got two Fantasylands. The one that's actually called Fantasyland is a, is a variety of neighborhoods with different themes, like Hundred Acre Wood, um, you know, the Peter Pan village area, the Alice in Wonderland maze. But um, the the hub of Shanghai Disney is the ornate, like, Parisian, you know, like, Gardens of Versailles kind of approach to an area of a park. It's just not their fantasy land, per se, although it has two, traits, really. two the two iconic fantasy land rides that are present at every Disney park, a carousel and flying Dumbo ride. Um, so as, I, guess, I guess what we're saying is that Shanghai Disney is still our favorite Disney park, but... We have to give credit where credit is due, and the uh, the Disneyland Paris Castle Park really was the groundwork for some of uh, Shanghai Disney's brightest characteristics, um, particularly in, in the fantasy and adventure areas as, as far as the ornateness and, and the, uh, the care taken to detail and giving just enough uh, thematic... Uh, just enough of a variety of themes and, and kinds of things going on. Jungle stuff, pirate stuff, fantasy land, and all of its various facets, but also giving them enough room to breathe so that they're not sitting on top of each other like at the U.S. castle parks. And that's one of the strongest, strong suits, I guess, of Disneyland Paris, is that the park's layout is amazing. They have... Nothing bleeds, there's attention to detail, and then every single Eat Ticket attraction has its best version at Disneyland Paris. So even though we kind of shoved their resort in the past for having bad operations, and the food is definitely still not where it needs to be, Yeah. if you're going for rides, and you're in the, in the U.S., if you, like roller you coasters, should definitely check out Disneyland Paris oh, Resort. Oh, yes. For sure. I mean, once Iron Man reopens, they'll be back to their, to their just stellar lineup of like four show-stopping coasters. Uh... If you include, uh, yeah, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, we would say that Crush is absolutely on that on that level. Although not everyone necessarily would agree with us, but our rides were pretty Amazing. pretty awesome. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I mean, like having already ridden it and then riding it again, I'm like, wow, I didn't appreciate this ride enough the first time around. Um, so I guess you could say it's aged well. A lot of Disneyland Paris has aged really well. Uh, Space Mountain, I would say, has even definitely appreciated in value even if even the space uh, the star wars theme aside the ride has appreciated in value just because of the the various follow-ups to the attraction um that owe its concept to that ride like the the, the premier spaghetti bowls and, and rock and roller coaster except that now space mountain feels so much more special because of the things that it did that the follow-ups 
did not do. And with that, we'll kind of wrap up our little just our, podcast this our, time. Just our an hour quick little state of the Disney address. State of Disney's address. Yes, <laughs> we'll, be, uh, we'll be back in just a couple days. We'll have another podcast episode about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which is the new Trekkers Dark Ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios here in Florida. We hope to have pos- positive news about this, the global uh, COVID-19 situation to discuss um, in a couple by days. By the next time we, we, we all talk here together. And then we'll have on our website a, uh, a Disneyland Paris Resort article that will be coming live in just a few uh, few days, maybe even sooner than that. We're working on that right now. And uh, as of always, just keep on checking out thecoastofkings.com. I know we've been a little slow on articles lately, um, a little bit of personal job development here and there, and hmm. combine it with the off-season. But we're working on it. We'll have a couple trips planned and... New rides are opening here and there. So we, we've got some things coming up. And then if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us by email or social media channels. We love hearing your comments. We've been posting a lot about Disneyland Paris and other Disney rides and uh, on our various social media platforms. And we love, love, love your comments and, and hearing what everyone has to say about Space Mountain and uh, Raging Spirits and some of the other Disney rides that we've been talking about lately. And if all this Disney stuff isn't your thing, which I know there's a few out there. Um, totally fine. We promise you, there's going to be some episodes coming up, especially once spring is all you know in the air. We'll have a bunch of non-Disney-related episodes again. We we'll promise. We'll make some couple of trips here and there, so stay tuned for those. But if you do like Disney um, and you like roller coasters in general, this was a good episode for you. And go check out some videos yeah. of Hyperspace Mountain Paris. It is, I think, our second favorite Disney ride overall and mm-hmm. our second favorite Disney coaster. My yeah. top ten coasters. It's such a good ride. Yeah, such a good ride. Yes. All right. Spectacular. Well, Whatever they say in French, may the force be with you. (laughs) 